Welcome to another episode of Chefs and Guests on the Spoon Mob podcast feed. This week, I am joined by sommelier Kendi Warden, who originally she kind of got involved in, in the wine and was working in restaurants, but then started having a family. So she made a pivot into what is called The Great Grind, which is kind of a wine education website that she also hosts uh, blind tastings through too as well. So it's super informative. It's a pretty awesome website. If you're thinking about like learning how to get into wine or like you don't know where to start or anything like that, that is kind of the exact place that I would point you to. And I would recommend checking it out. She's got a newsletter up, uh, sign up availability, all bunch of different kind of resources that somebody who is looking to get into the wine world and possibly pursue, you know, a career or think about taking it, you know, one of the exams would do. So it's a really cool website. I recommend checking it out, but it was great to have her on. Just uh, I first met her uh, at Veritas. She worked at Veritas for a little bit. She basically waited on us one time that we were in there and went and got her uh, certified kind of sommelier exam there and passed it and everything. And, and she's kind of looking at going into the other WSAT and, and other different avenues too as well, instead of going through and further down kind of the court of uh, master sommeliers like Greg uh, Stokes, for instance, he's pursuing the master, um, you know, certification, everything where you have other people that we've had on the podcast, you know, Thatcher did the certified, but then found kind of the lane that he wanted to be in. Jamie kind of same deal, did the certified, went all the way through the W set, but really found kind of the lane that he really enjoys and, and likes to kind of be in. So similar avenue, and it's just kind of cool to talk to somebody who, you know, found a different avenue uh, in the wine world and doesn't have to work in restaurants or isn't working as a beverage director or, you know, isn't working for a winery you know, they're doing these other things. And with the rise of social media and all that stuff, um, you're able to do quite a bit of different, you know, things that people didn't really know that you could do. So, so it's just cool to get that perspective and also just a woman's perspective on kind of the wine industry, which like so many restaurants, you know, and restaurant tours and all that stuff is very male dominated industry. I think there's only like a handful of master psalms that are women. I think it's like 26 or like 17 or something like that. It's a super low number. There's about, I mean, it's under 300 total, but there's just not that many. And it's kind of same with, you know, finding minorities kind of in the sector too as well. And and even though more and more are coming into the kind of the wine world and stuff like that, it's still kind of disproportionate to, you know, kind of more of a male dominated industry. Uh, it's cool to get that perspective and just kind of what, you know, she's experienced and, you know, kind of her take on things too as well and and just kind of talk wine again. So, I mean, this is the fourth psalm that we've had on the podcast. So we'll continue to have psalms um, throughout, you know, as we go forward and everything. It's always cool to just kind of talk to people to, about wine and get, you know, their different perspective, what they like, dislike and, and all that stuff. So make sure to follow at The Grape Grind on Instagram. Also visit her website. Uh, this is my interview with... Some Kendi Warden of the Great Brand. Thanks for coming on and, and doing this. I know we had to reschedule. Happy you were able to, to make it and, and the throat is all good. I didn't want you to be like losing your voice like halfway through. So, yeah, thank you for having me. I know I'm still I'm in the draining phase. So, you know, I definitely sound better than I did on Monday. So, excited. We're going to do this. You know, there's not a whole lot of media in Columbus uh, that doesn't you know, like to you just kind of said before we started here, you know, especially about wine, but, but also about food in general. And if there is, it's, it's usually maybe one or two articles about people, but there's definitely not much out there about you. So start kind of at the beginning where I start with everybody, but how did you kind of get into 
you know, wine, how did you wind up kind of getting into the food and beverage industry? Was that something that you kind of just started out of like high school kind of first job? Or was that like your parents were involved in that? Or how did it all come together? Yeah, so I've, I mean, I've been in restaurants since high school, but I, my background is in education. So I got my master's in teaching and I taught uh, early childhood for a little while and actually got into the restaurant scene as a summer job. Uh, Teachers, you know, don't make a whole lot of money. So I picked up a summer job at a fine dining restaurant and kind of got into wine there. You know, they do some wine tasting and uh, they had a really great wine list where I worked. It's um, actually was Bel Lago. I don't know if you are familiar with it. It was a restaurant in Westerville, right on Hoover Reservoir, closed, but they had, you know, I I learned a lot about wine there and I got kind of hooked on it. So I studied, I found out about this intro sommelier exam. I was like, that sounds great. Um, I'll take that. So I started studying for that and I got my intro and ended up leaving teaching uh, to work in restaurants, which is, you know, not your your typical decision. Tell your parents, uh, yeah, you know, giving up my master's degree to work in restaurants. But, you know, I was really into wine and really into that kind of the restaurant culture. It was fun for me. So I just started working, you know, various positions. Uh, That restaurant actually closed. And so I started working for Cameron Mitchell. Um, was working at Hudson 29 in New Albany for a while in various positions there. Oh, wow. Yeah. We used to live in New Albany for a while. So, but that was like 2015 to like 2018, something like that, somewhere in that three year stretch. So, probably after you were there. I was probably there. Yeah. My daughter was born in 2017 and I was still there at that time. Okay. So, you probably were. That is like the, the best, I mean, there's, I think there's only two Hudson 29s, but that's, the, in my personal opinion, it's better than the one off Lane Avenue. Oh, I was there for four years. So I, you know, I enjoyed the people there, the food, it was good. And I, you know, I started wanting to take the certified uh, sommelier exam. So one of the managers there kind of let me play a lot with the wines. So I would do an educational kind of group for the servers there and I'd pull different wines and we'd play with food and wine pairings. And that, you know, and that was a lot of fun. I bartended, but that restaurant, their wine list is very California focused. So I realized that, you know, if I wanted to go take this sommelier exam, I needed to be somewhere where there was a, you know, a bigger wine list and maybe a little bit more fine dining. Hudson 29 is kind of casual fine dining. So um, I went and started working at Veritas downtown studying for certified. And while I was studying for that, I, you know, I had a kind of a social media account that I would share bottles of wine, you know, that I liked. I've always been into wine. Um, so I would just share what I drank, what I liked. Um, but I started sharing the process of studying for this exam because most levels, you know, of the quarter master sommeliers, you don't have a study guide. You don't, you know, there's, they don't give you anything. You just kind of have to learn on your own self-study. So I kind of just shared the process of studying, you know, via social media. You know, I had this wine blog, I kind of updated it to include these guides, like things that were helpful to me during studying for this exam. And that kind of caught on really well. I passed and once I passed, I was kind of like, okay, well, there's, you know, only one of two ways I can go from here. I can either continue to work on the floor and get into a beverage manager position, 
which I would have loved to do, but I have three children. So that kind of made things a little bit more difficult in that direction. Or I could, you know, work in distribution. So that's kind of where I was headed until COVID hit. Once COVID hit, um, I was like, well, you know, crap, I can't work anywhere for anyone. So I need to find a kind of figure out how I, how I can work for myself in a sense. So yeah, I started doing more on social media. I started updating my website a little bit more um, and working, you know, various partnerships throughout the year, which was a lot of fun. Had my third baby and then recently launched um, some virtual tastings of my own. But yeah, not I'm not a traditional sommelier. My trajectory into the wine world kind of was and still not is very typical. Going back a little bit, so you know, you said that you got into you know teaching, got your master's in teaching and everything. What was it that made you take the leap? Like, what was it that you were kind of like, you know, what I'm going to go try wine? Like, what was that internal thought process like? Just going like, I'm going to completely change everything that I've been doing for. 20 some years. Right. Well, for one, I didn't really enjoy teaching. Um, I wasn't passionate about, I mean, I, I like it in a sense. Um, obviously I'm doing a lot of wine education. You know, it's a job that you have to be really passionate about to enjoy doing. So it doesn't pay very well. You, you know, you work all day and then you are up, you know, after you come home from work, grading papers and writing lesson plans. And, you know, it's, it's an easy job to get burnt out in. You know, I just, I've always been into wine. Um, my husband and I actually, we have some land up in Finley, Ohio. And so we would grow grapes. We had over like 120 vines and with the idea that, okay, eventually maybe we'll have not necessarily a winery, but some sort of event space and, you know, make our own wine. And, you know, it's just, wine kind of sucked me in and it's a whole, I don't know, once it sucks you in, you're kind of stuck there. It's like a different language in a sense. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I mean, there's a lot of people that I know who are, I would just call them, I guess, like casual wine drinkers, but they definitely have price limits on what they will spend. They're like, maybe it's, you know, justified, but they're very concerned. Like if I get into kind of an upper level, like I'm never going to be able to go back down kind of thing, you know, like if I ever get into the $70 bottle of wine or something like they're like, I'm just never going to want the 20 or 15 again. You know, <laughs> that's kind of like their logic that they have. And it it's pretty, it's like, yeah, once you do kind of cross that threshold, you do probably wind up never really going back. Yeah. Well, and it's not necessarily always about price either. It's just like you start learning about these regions and you find out that you can buy some really great, you know, wines at like a 20 to $50 price range, especially, you know, from regions in France and Italy you know, that, that tastes great and are more what you enjoy than, you know, dropping a ton of money on a, on a bottle of wine, just because it has a certain region on it. How did your parents take it when you told them quit teaching? They've always been very supportive. They're like, all right. Just wondering if they were like, like, maybe you want to do like half the wine thing and half the teaching. Like, I was just wondering. Yeah, well, I did do that for a little while. I, you know, I, I substitute taught for a little while and then I would, you know, go from there and work uh, in the evenings. So. so when you started, you know, doing more kind of wine tastings and stuff at Hudson 29, at that time, did you think like, oh, I want to take the the SOM courses all the way up? Was that kind of like your initial plan or? Yeah, um, no, I really, I, I mainly just wanted to get my certified thinking that eventually maybe I would go further than that. Just, you know, I was like, well, if, at least I get this and then kind of see where I want to go. 
Um, after that, you know, I wasn't quite sure after I had kids if I wanted to stay in restaurants or not. Studied for that and then discovered that there are numerous other certifications for wine that are not service related. WSET is one of them. I took CSW, which is with the Society of Wine Educators, just different various paths that you can take in wine. You know, you don't necessarily have to, you know, take a take a certification with the court, which that was the only one I knew of because I worked in restaurants. So I think it was more of the challenge of taking that exam and passing. But also I love the, the service component of wine. I've been in restaurants forever. So when I stopped because of COVID, it was almost like I you know, was breaking up with restaurants. I didn't, didn't like it. But you know, it's also exciting because there's so much that you can do in wine. Yeah, I think people definitely think that there's only, you know, if you become a, a sommelier, you're only working either in a restaurant or you're working for, you know, like a winery or maybe a distributor, but that's about it. But there are definitely other paths. Yours, uh, where you're at now, which we'll get to. And, and there's a couple other people that have done some interesting stuff too as well. So how did you kind of first learn about like the intro exam that you took? Was it, did somebody tell you about that or was it just kind of doing some Google research? Yeah, um, no, it was when I, it was at my first restaurant job. It was, um, there were a couple servers there that were, you know, talked about it and then went and got it and talked about it afterwards. We'd have one in particular would hang these maps from Guildsom, which is a, a, a website where you kind of learn a, about kind of what's on the exam. They don't give you, you know, it's not a, a study guide or anything, but wine maps just hung all over the, the walls of the polishing room in the restaurant. And I would just, you know, polish and stand there and look at these maps. And I'm like, oh, this is, you know, this is interesting. This is cool. And then when you taste the wines from those regions, you know, looking at the maps, you know, things start to click and, you know, they had a great wine list where I was at. So yeah, it was, I guess that's what kind of influenced me. Like, all right, this is kind of a fun challenge. Let's, let's take this. And the intro is only like a couple days, right? Yeah. You want to study kind of beforehand. It's kind of like a wrap up of every region in those two days. They've got a quick, you know, PowerPoint presentations and you get to taste a little bit. And then you take the exam on the second day and it's just all multiple choice. So did you know, basically like right after you passed, like you definitely wanted to go back for your cert? Yeah. And at that point in time, I didn't know if I'd want to do certified. It's kind of like, I'm also a runner. So it's like, I ran a half marathon. I'm like, but I'll never run a marathon. And then after I finished the half marathon, I was like, okay, actually I do want to run it. But, and so, yeah, so it's just like, knock one thing out. You just kind of, well, what's next? Well, the, the next thing, obviously. What was the toughest part for you about the certified exam? Was it the theory, the service, or the blind tasting component? Um, so funny enough, I think theory was the hardest, but what was most nerve-wracking was service, which is funny because you know I, you do service all the time, but it's just you and, and a master sommelier at a table. So it was, uh, that, uh, that was, that was very nerve wracking. I had people, I had a friend that took it a couple months before me. And so she relayed a lot of, you know, some information to me. And, you know, some people are like, I oh, want to take a shot before you go do service, calm your nerves. And I ended up, um, at the bar upstairs, I, I ordered two, I, I think I drank two or three cups of chamomile tea. Cause I was so nervous, uh, for that portion of the exam. Um, it went fine. But yeah, I'd say that was the most nerve wracking just because they're asking you questions on the spot. 
Um, you can't sit there and think about it like you can with when, you know, with a piece of paper in front of you. How long does the certified course, is it like a multi-week thing? Did you have to go to a different location for it, like outside of Columbus or? We went up to the Finger Lakes. Um, I went up to the Finger Lakes to take it. It's one day. So it started at, I think, eight in the morning. You go in, you blind taste right away. And then right after blind tasting, you they hand you a theory paper and you take a theory test and turn that in and you're not done. They give you a time to come back and do service. So it's exhausting. You get out of there. It was exhausting, but it was, um, it was fun. It was exhilarating. So when you were working in, in restaurants, I guess, how did you, you know, really wind up at Veritas? Because I remember you working there um, because I remember at the time it was, you know, Greg, who's still there, but then you, and then I was just like, are they just going to add a bunch of Psalms? There's restaurants that have done that, like Saison, notably for a while, like everybody on their floor was a Psalm of some level at one point. So I was like, oh, that's, that's really, if that's what they're going to do, I was like, that's one really cool, two really ambitious. And I'm really curious to see where this goes. And, and then, you know, people move on and everything, but you know, how did you wind up, you know, kind of working with Josh and Greg at Veritas? I just wanted a like really good wine culture. I, I knew Greg beforehand and I knew, you know, he, you know, he has a really great wine list there. So I really kind of pushed to move, you know, into that restaurant. But yeah, it was like there, the refectory. I don't like when to diss Columbus, but there's not a whole lot of restaurants with really epic wine lists. Although, you know, now that COVID's happened, wine lists have kind of crunched down, which is actually kind of a great thing. But yeah, I just, I wanted to be around, you know, classic wines that I could taste and, you know, a place where I could learn, you know. Then you kind of, you know, you're doing the restaurant stuff, you wind up, you know, you have the your family there. So restaurants, because it doesn't really make a whole lot of life sense because you're working nights and weekends primarily. So you pivot, you wind up working, or did you ever actually start with the, the wine sales distributor or did that just like you were supposed to start and then COVID happened? Uh, yeah, I actually had a second interview planned and then COVID happened. And I, I got an email saying there was a hiring freeze. And I'm like, oh, and that's, and then two weeks later, I found out I was pregnant again. So I'm like, well, crap, I'm not, you know, I've, <laughs> I'm not going to work for a little while. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. So I, you know, I spent a lot of the time, my kids were home from daycare because daycare is closed. So I spent, you know, a lot of their, like their nap time. And then after they went to bed, I'd work, work on, you know, my website and studying for CSW. Cause I was like, well, I want to kind of see what this is all about now. But yeah, that, that was kind of the pivoting moment where it was like, all right, I'm not going to do just, I can't just wait around because I don't know what's going to happen to restaurants. I don't know what's going to happen with distribution. So yeah, I was just kind of like, well, I guess I'm going to pivot into kind of doing my own thing. And I was really lucky. I worked with a um, really awesome company called Lifetime Vintage um, out of New York, and they started doing virtual um, blind tastings you know, became part of their SOM team and did blind tastings all virtually. And that was really great. Kind of kept me, you know, in the, in the game, the beginning of COVID. So, and I'm still currently doing them. You know, being pregnant and everything, were you still able to like taste and then just spit? Or did you just kind of write off wine altogether during that period? Or how'd you navigate that? No, um, I tasted and spit. All, all throughout all of them. And 
Yeah. I mean, when you're pregnant, your senses are really great. Like you have a really great sense of smell and a really great sense of taste. So it was actually a great time to taste and spit. And, you know, like I couldn't, you know, drink, like I couldn't consume. So I could taste a lot. And yeah, I, so I just did that throughout all three of my pregnancies. So when you started, you know, your blog and then you kind of turned it into what it is now, you know, the grape grind, did you always kind of see like it going to that level, but it just accelerated because of COVID really? And you had more time to kind of work on it where it was always probably like your third kind of thing. Like it was like, we're going to a restaurant or wherever, and then kids and family and everything. But then it was kind of like, oh, I have some free time to kind of mess with this, but it now became kind of something you could do more. Yeah, definitely kind of accelerated with COVID just because I had more time, more time to work on it and everybody was online or on social media or, you know, the people were wanting to do virtual things. So virtual tastings were great. So yeah, that, that helped, but also just kind of, I think the, one of the, I guess, things that helped me to see that, okay, maybe this could be a thing was when I just started sharing my study process for certified I think because people could relate to it in a sense where it's, you see a lot of stuff where it's like a person just shares their title, you know, like I'm a, I'm a sommelier, but not really the process of getting there. So I I started sharing all these study guides and I I think it was the one about soil. It was wine soils or something like that. I, I created just to help me study um, and just posted it and people were really into it. So I'm like, great, I'll create more guides. Is that something that you're going to kind of explore further where, you know, there clearly is probably an avenue where you could do some almost like psalm tutoring for like people that are aspiring to be Somalis? Is that something that you have considered or even explored yet with the grape grind because of the education component? Yeah, um, I, you know, I've considered doing like consults and I'm offering them. But I really want it to be a community platform where wine students can kind of learn and connect with others. And for, you know, people that are interested in wine just in general, but more geared towards the wine student. Um, I really would like to do a wine club at some point, you know, where everyone is sent, you know, a set of blind wines to blind and maybe like some wine from a different region. And, you know, we can meet, taste, discuss. And that sort of thing. That's that's kind of my current plan, mainly because blind tasting, you know, is I, I think it's a lot of fun, but it's also kind of hard to do on your own. You need to have a group of people to do it with. And it's hard to find those people unless, you know, somebody you work in a restaurant or, you know, um, people. Do you I mean, you definitely enjoy, I think, based on, you know, the Instagram that you definitely enjoy, like the the blind tasting part I think the most yeah that's my favorite part it's like a game it's just like a a game really how do you decide on what your pull like when you're creating a tasting is it just do you pick regions or is it just stuff that you've tried recently that you have a mental rolodex from like how do you construct your tastings like what's the process tastings that I do for others or tastings that I do on my own either one and what's the difference I guess between the two if there is one I blind taste on my own all the time just because it's fun. And I think I I learn every time I do it. Um, I'll, I'll blind taste on my, I, I like to blind taste with people, but I'll blind taste on my own too. I'll just have my husband pour me some wines and blind taste them just to, you know, constantly be learning. But no, I usually, when I'm studying, I, I'm trying to keep up with what I learned because if you don't, you, it just kind of goes away. So I usually pick a region for months and focus on 
wines from that region, taste them while studying that region, a really great way to kind of commit varieties to memory, um, understand a region, that sort of thing. Do you always pick like two whites and two reds or sometimes you just do like all reds? Just kind of depends on what you're feeling. Depends on what I'm feeling. With blind tasting, if I blind taste, it's usually one white and one red or two whites and two reds. Have you, like, I know you're doing the tastings, but have you participated in any, like a lot of wineries and stuff were doing tastings with COVID, you know, because that was kind of the only way that they could almost kind of reach new buyers or prospective buyers because people weren't going to restaurants anymore. So they wouldn't really discover, were you able to, did you participate in any that you thought were like, that you did, were you just like super excited to, oh, wow, I can't believe, you know, this place is doing, doing one of these. I did not. I did do a lot, a lot of these things during COVID. Um, you mean Columbus with Columbus restaurants? Well, no, just any. I mean, there was a bunch out of like California that were doing, they would like ship you the bottles and stuff like that. So I didn't know if you partaked in any of those. Yeah. Um, I recently did something really cool. I did, um, there's a winery, a small family owned winery in Paso, Robles, um, called Kalitza. And they are, they do it every month, but they do it a wine blending experience. So they'll send you bottles of, you know, Rhone varieties. So Grenache Syrah Mouved, known as a GSM blend for Grenache Syrah Mouved, and let you kind of blend the wines together and create your own blend, which I thought is really cool. Winemaker kind of comes on and goes over the different varieties and talks about what makes a blend unique. And then you get to create your own. I thought that was a really cool way to do a virtual tasting. Yeah, that's definitely a different way to to do it. That's not something that I've really seen kind of out there, at least in the, the ones that kind of I follow along. With all the wines that you kind of taste in like a given week, what do you think like the percentages of ones that you would drink again? Or like are all the blind tastings that you're constructing for yourself out of like your own kind of collection or? Most of them are from just bottles that I've collected of classic varieties that I keep in my basement. And it has, there's a special rack for them. So they're like blind wines. And I used to put stickers on them so that my husband wouldn't pull a bottle of like some wine I wanted to blind taste. But yeah, I just, I have a special rack that's just classic testable varieties for blind tasting. And then I have a rack full of fun stuff that's just like the more obscure, unique varieties, which I like too. You, uh, I saw on the Instagram that you, I think, tried the Yao Ming wine. And so my question is, so two parts. One, was it good? <laughs> and two, what is the best like celebrity wine that you've, you've had? I've tried a couple and I didn't think any of them were real great. So I am kind of a sucker for cabs. You know, I, I like most cabs and I, I honestly am not. I haven't tried a lot of celebrity ones myself, but that one, um, I really enjoyed. I thought it was great. I thought it was really well balanced. I thought it was a little more Bordeaux-esque, a little more earthy than super fruit bomb Napa Cab, which I appreciated. I I thought it was good. Is that particular wine, is that all from China or did they source the grapes from? No, no, it's all Napa Valley. Was it made in Napa Valley too? And so it's just kind of his, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how involved he is, I guess, with it, but. Yeah, he, he was actually really involved in the process. So he, and I can't remember the name of the winemaker, but um, he really wanted to create his own label, was really into Napa Cabernets. Um, you know, he was involved in the process, apparently. And he found a great winemaker who helped kind of construct this really, really well done cab. 
you mentioned like earlier kind of like you had a special rack for like blind tastings and then like your other kind of wines is it more of um do you like collect wines or is it more of a oh there's space on the rack now so bottle in kind of bottle out like one when you're done with one bottle like another one you wind up like getting yep we gotta keep that full we can't <laughs> how do you pick like how do you just do you just walk through like a wine store and just like oh that looks interesting or is there stuff that you kind of gravitate towards like if it's more kind of wines from france or or napa or how do you kind of decide so I have a list of varieties, but I, there's just so many varieties out there and I like to try everything. So I just kind of go down that list and say, well, I haven't tried this. I got to, I got to try this and, um, find it, try it. Sometimes I can find it. Sometimes it's more difficult. Um, I'm really into Riesling. So Riesling is a huge chunk of that rack, um, for Riesling from various areas. Sweet or dry? All of the above. Oh, okay. Usually you have to kind of, I feel like people pick like one side or the other. Yes. Usually. Yeah. Are they into sweet or not into sweet? Do you enjoy like ice wines? I've never been like a fan of them, but. I haven't had one in a really long time. I used to, my husband and I would go around and try all the different Ohio wineries. This is a while ago um, before, you know, even before I was into restaurants, um, we were into wine and we had a bunch from Ohio. Um, I know that Canada has a lot of really good ice wines and Finger Lakes. You know, you can find some really good ice wines from there. But no, I'm, I'm not really into ice wines. I don't really drink them all that often. I'd rather drink something fortified uh, for, for a sweet wine. So like Madeira or uh, sweet or sherry. Have you done anything, I guess, like on the website coming up for, for the grape grind? Like, are you targeting like a, a new region or anything like that? Like eventually maybe you'll do like an ice wine kind of guide or something like that? Maybe. I really want to do a sparkling guide and into sparkling wine lately. But yeah, fortified is definitely, sweet wine is kind of a category that people, you know, steer away from. Um, but I think there's a lot of really great ones that you don't, you know, it's, it's not like drinking a glass of that before or after dinner. It's just kind of, you can replace it, a dessert with a really great, sweet, fortified wine. Um, you don't have to drink a lot of it. So in terms of, you mentioned sparkling a few minutes ago. So why do you think, and I kind of ask every all the Psalms that come on the podcast this, but I'm a big fan of, of champagne, but why do you think, what's your you know opinion or, or reasoning that you can see being a Psalm yourself, that people are so hesitant to either, you know, try it or kind of drink it? Or, I mean, obviously, you know, the houses have done the marketing for, you know, it's supposed to be the celebration beverage and that kind of leads to kind of a barrier of entry. But why do you think it's like not more successful in this kind of era of just social media lifestyle that's not really authentic? That It kind of feels like the two would go hand in hand. So um, I think champagne is a whole mood. I was never really into bubbles until recently. And I think it's just one of those categories of wine that you can, you need to gradually get into. It's kind of like coffee when you're young, you know, you just kind of work your way up. I think that people think that, you know, champagne is just super expensive. And so why would you buy it all the time? Um, but you can find some, some champagne that's great. That's inexpensive. You know, there's obviously really expensive champagnes, but there's also a lot of like grower producers that are making some really great stuff that's harder to find, but usually a little bit less expensive. And there's different styles of champagne too. Um, I remember that I wasn't quite into champagne because I didn't 
care for the bready, yeasty kind of, you know, taste that comes with a lot of champagnes with uh, the lees and the aging. But there's a lot of styles of champagne that are more bright, citrus forward, not so yeasty, not so bready. So yeah, I've, and, and there's tons of other great sparkling wines, you know, to try too. You got to be prepared to drink a whole bottle of champagne too. So a lot of people will buy a bottle of wine, open it, have a glass, save it for the next night. Whereas champagne can't really, I mean, there's like wine stoppers, but you can't save it. Yeah. The best thing I've actually found, I don't remember if it was like an Instagram hack thing or if it was something like that, but somebody would take basically uh, your glad like press and seal and they would take a piece of that and put it over the lid and then they would take like a rubber band and put it around it and just go as like many times as you could with the rubber band to get it like as tight as possible it actually works pretty well as long as like you're gonna finish it like the next day it still has some bubbles it's not as bubbly as you know when you first open the bottle but it works at a pinch yeah probably works like a champagne stopper like it'll keep for a little bit but you know not not that long so you're from Columbus originally, right? No, uh, I grew up in Cleveland area. I did go to Ohio State. This will still apply um, just because you're an Ohio native. So, and I asked Greg this too as well, but Columbus is primarily a beer town. I mean, even I think Cleveland is definitely a beer town too. So with your experience kind of, you know, in restaurants and being a Somme and everything too, you know, if people do kind of get into wine, like here in Columbus, it's kind of like a Napa cab town, but do you think, you know, I know you haven't worked in a restaurant a little bit, but do you think the city's drinking habits from what you know are starting to shift away from beer towards wine or are they shifting more towards like seltzers or or how do you see kind of Columbus as like a alcohol preference town, I guess? Um, I see wine becoming more of a thing. Um, I think it's more of a thing now than it was, you know, five years ago. So I think it's growing. You know, I'm, I'm all about getting people excited about wine because, you know, there's a lot of great wines to explore. But yeah, you're definitely right. Columbus is very much a, a beer town and, and cocktails are also a really big thing too. So yeah, I, I think it's becoming more, you know, I've had a lot of people, guests at restaurants, you know, say, oh, I'm, I'm really getting into wine. You know, I'm starting to learn more about it. And there's just so much out there. It's not just Cabernet and Chardonnay anymore. There's, you know, there's, there's more stuff on a lot of the lists, but a lot more fun stuff to try. So. Is Cleveland kind of probably, I would imagine is kind of trailing Columbus in terms of that, like the transition over to like wine, I guess. Cleveland seems like a very strong beer town. I'd say it's on par probably with Columbus and the rest of Ohio. So when you're out to, when you get to go out to, to dinner, however often that is, whenever you guys get to go, having the three kids, are you, like, if you go somewhere, are you able to just kind of like enjoy the dinner or do you find yourself, like, as soon as you sit down, there's a wine list, like, are you looking at the wine list to like, see what they have and like, if it's stuff that I've tried and what, what's on here that I haven't tried and like kind of compulsively checking it? Yep. But yeah, I, you know, I love looking at the wine list. I honestly, oftentimes will look before I, we go out. If we go out, we haven't been out in a little while. But yeah, I'm always curious as to what's out there, what's new, what's exciting. I'm more interested in the wine lists that have unique, you know, kind of stuff that I haven't tried. So you'll check online first to see what the wine list looks like. And that dictates where you guys go. 
Um, no, not necessarily. I do. It, it maybe sometimes plays in. If you have like two or three options, it's probably going to be the one with the better wine list. Do you think? Yeah, that's really hard to say because we we really don't get out that much, and usually it's like we have both, like my husband and I, have to agree. But yeah, I would say that you know the wine list influences where we go. You're the first woman song that I've had on the podcast thus far. So do you, you know, it seems to me wine for at least a long time, maybe it's not the case anymore, was like, you know, restaurants and chefs, uh, primarily like a male dominated industry. Do you think it's changing with as as you've gone through kind of with all the courses and everything? Did, or do you think like it's kind of a, a slow kind of kind of change or do you think it's kind of more rapid than it appears on the surface? I think, I mean, it's definitely changing, which is great, but yeah, there's not a whole lot of female. I mean, especially in Columbus, there's not really a whole lot of female sommeliers. Yeah. Are you the only one? I don't, I honestly don't know. There's other people with their certified, but yeah, I, I, you know, it's, it's something that that's definitely changing and it's great to see more females kind of just doing, just doing the wine thing. I mean, have you ever considered, you know, with COVID and everything, did you ever think about going back to do the advanced or was that something after you did the certified that you're like, I'm, I'm good here at this level or what was, what was the reason for not going back or or are you going to go back in the future? Is that something that you're kind of contemplating? No, I actually um, will probably move forward with a WSET program or the Society of Wine Educators. Uh, Once I got certified, I did have, you know, the thought of, okay, maybe, maybe, you know, I'll go for advanced too. But also in the back of my mind, I was like, well, you know, I don't really know if I'm going to stay in restaurants as much as I'd like to stay in restaurants, you know, doesn't necessarily make sense for me. And yeah, I don't, I don't think I will go back to take advanced. Um, I think I'll move forward with, uh, you know, other certifications. So that's the service aspect. I mean, I'm going to be in restaurants, so. What's drawing you to like either the W set or the other one? Is it just that it's more, I forget the difference because Jamie explained it to me, the difference. One's like more kind of education focused and one's more like theory focused. Yeah. I mean, the Society of Wine Educators is, is very much education focused, but I, and I have not done W set, but that's going to be what I do next. So I can kind of see where I want to go, whether it be Society of Wine Educators or W set. It's kind of cool to be able to compare them. So, you know, I, I did the court um, and then I did the Society of Wine Educators and then I'm going to eventually do WSET and just kind of go from there, see what direction I want to go. Okay, so you're going to do like the level one? Probably do level three. I've heard that it's on par with the CSW and the um, uh, certified some. So I think we're just going to go for it. Just Just do level three. Can you start just like right into level three or do you have to build, do they make you build up too? or? Well, apparently they don't recommend it unless you have, you know, wine background or so I've taken certified and I've taken CSW. So it's kind of like, I've heard that they're similar as far as difficulty. So yeah. When do you start prepping for that? The end of the year. I have, you know, some projects and some, you know, consulting type things that I want to do between now and then, but that'll be my next certification. I think that I just keep continuing to learn. How long of a buildup is it? Do you need to give yourself like three months before you take the exam or do you need six or is it just kind of like whenever you feel like I'm at a level that 
I'm comfortable taking the exam. Then you go online and look like when's the next available exam or. Yeah. So for certified between the intro and the certified exam, it took me a while, mainly because I had children, but, uh, CSW, I think I took like three to six months to study. I think it was like three months of kind of studying and then three months of really cramming it in. So yeah, I'm guessing it'd be like a a three or four month stretch. Drinking wine, is it a daily occurrence or tasting wine a daily thing that you do with with the grape grind or is there days where eh, I just need a break? Yeah, I don't drink wine every day. I do like other things too. I I enjoy spirits. My husband's really into um, bourbon, so drink bourbon. Uh, I like tequila, but I'm usually in the mood for wine. Doing like a tasting or something? Yeah, I do tastings, you know, a few times a week, but I, you know, I have kids, I, I don't drink a lot either, which is, you know, a glass or, or two. I have kids that get up at the crack of dawn. So I, <laughs> I need to be like on, on it. So when you get back towards kind of getting ready to take the exam, will your, will you have to like increase your tastings or just like the frequency? Not like the, not necessarily the amount in the glass, but like just doing them, you know, more days a week. Definitely. Um, when I was studying for certified, you know, with the blend tasting portion, I'm pretty sure that the week of I tasted every day, just my on my own um, and with people that were taking it. Yeah. With the grape grind, like where do you want to take it next? Like, obviously, I mean, you want to want to grow it and everything like that. But but what's kind of next on the agenda? Is there anything that uh, that you have that was coming to light, you know, that you were working on or? Yeah, so. I just recently launched my own virtual tastings. So that's kind of this month's thing. I'm currently working on quizzes to include on there as well. Um, and then, like I said, I really want to create more of a, a, you know, a community platform for wine students. So I, you know, I want to, I'm working on this kind of club, wine club idea as well. But yeah, those are the biggest things. Are the tastings that you're doing, like, are they once a month or are they once a week, the blind ones, or are they once a week or once a month or? Um, I do blind tastings with Lifetime Vintage. They're usually once or twice a week. A few more questions for you. We ask these to, to everybody so everybody can kind of have like a compare and contrast. Who would you say was the biggest influence on your sommelier career thus far? Oh, I, I don't know if I could answer that with just one person. I'll, uh, I'll amend it to three. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, so many people are doing different things in the wine sphere, and I think different people have influenced me at different points. I would say, you know, some of the servers at the first restaurant that I worked at um, were, because that just kind of got me into learning, into the, the quartermaster sommeliers and that being a thing, and kind of get gearing and going in that direction. Obviously, Chris Dillman and Greg Stokes, you know, in the SOM community, both have been very helpful in our brilliant minds and wine. But yeah, some of the people that I just taste with daily, just some of my, some of my friends, you know, they're, they're a great influence as well. Everyone always has something to to contribute and share. What's your desert Island wine stuck on a desert Island only can have one wine. Riesling. There's just, I mean, there's so many different styles. It could be light and bright. It can be rich. You know, there's, there's just so many different styles. What Riesling would it be, though? You're going to have to pick one. Probably something from J.J. Proom. I know you don't work in restaurants anymore, but what is the one restaurant that you would recommend that was 
not one that you worked at. So somebody got stuck at the airport, they hit you up. Hey, I'm stuck overnight. Got to get something to eat. Where should I go? Yeah, like I said, we haven't, we haven't gone out to a lot of restaurants, but I, I really enjoyed Lupo. Is uh, Upper Arlington, I believe, same owners as La Tavola, but they do a lot of like Spanish tapas stuff and their wine list is fun, it's small, um, but they have, you know, I, I had some like really fun Portuguese red blends there. This was like a year ago. Now they're the Portuguese red ones are kind of like coming into the scene. They're, they're, they're a lot of fun. Also, they also have a lot of sherry there, also an underrated beverage. So yeah, I, I uh, that's the first thing that popped into my head. No, no. I mean, yeah, they're, like you said, same owners from La Tavola and, and La Tavola is a great, like, just kind of your comfort, like scratch made pasta, Italian, like stuff that you would make at home, but it's better. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So bucket list travel destination, bucket list restaurant. I don't have a bucket list restaurant. Oh, it's gotta be something. Bucket list winery you'd like to visit. Yeah, I really would like to go to Cade in Napa Valley. That's not my whole destination. Um, I just really like their wines. And I also have not been to Napa Valley, which is crazy. But I would say bucket list travel destination is New Zealand, particularly the South Island. That was somewhere that we had planned on going and and then COVID hit. And so we to scratch that so that's still we'll probably get there eventually but yeah be a really fun place to go and and you know try some some wines from there too yeah we had a trip to san sebastian planned like twice <laughs> covid wa- wiped it out one time and the other time we had to postpone it so that's like we're kind of in the same boat with that so yeah yeah there's there's a lot of places i'd like to go but i still think that's tops I know you don't work in restaurants anymore, but what's the craziest thing that you saw happen in a restaurant when you were working in restaurants? We've had a bunch of different, we've had people accidentally get stabbed, uh, Ansel system going off, uh, grease fire, a whole bunch of different stuff. Is there anything that comes to mind from your time where you're like, I still can't believe that happened? Someone that I worked with um, got cut by a candle holder, kind of fix a candle and hit the nerve in his thumb and can no longer use his thumb. So that's, you know, a little bit morbid, but uh, I guess that's probably the craziest thing I can think of other than, you know, the times that we lost electricity and we're just like, I don't know what's going on. Was he just trying to like, was the candle like falling out of the holder and then he just like grabbed, just pulled his hand away, not thinking or... I think the candle melted and was stuck to the candle holder and he was trying to pull the candle out. And a lot of times the servers would use steak knives to do that and ended up breaking the the candle holder completely ruining his thumb. So yeah, awful thing. But yeah, I think that was probably the craziest thing that I could recall. Food or drink, guilty pleasure. Is there anything that like, a lot of times it seems to be kind of junk food or fast food for people, but is there anything like that, um, you know, that you try and avoid at the grocery store or anything that you know is terrible for you, but sometimes you just can't resist? Um, everything on a cheese board. I, I, you know, I sucker for a good charcuterie board, cheese, meats, um, not so much the meats, more the cheeses. Yeah, you compare so much with, <laughs> with a charcuterie board. I've been really into orange wine lately. I think that it's just a phenomenal pairing with a charcuterie board. Kind of like funky, tangy wines with a lot of funky, tangy food. Yeah, it's been kind of my thing lately. 
Uh, pick one of the following 10. So these are like 10 kind of wine. Some of them are wine documentaries. Some of them are wine movies. But pick the one that you think is you know, whatever you want to use is either the best that you enjoyed the most or you think is probably the most influential for somebody who's looking to get in wine. So obviously the three Psalm documentaries, Psalm, Psalm 2, Psalm 3, uh, Sour Grapes, Decanted, Blood into Wine, Bottle Shock, A Good Year, Uncork or Sideways. Oh man, some of these I haven't even seen. Which ones haven't you seen? Because I can I can tell you it's probably the movie ones. Blood into Wine I have not seen. It's on Amazon. It's with the guy, man, I'm forgetting his name, but he was in like a heavy metal group. And it's like all about like him making like wine in Arizona. He started like a vineyard there. Okay. I would say, honestly, for me, the Psalm, you know, documentaries, just because that kind of was the start of me thinking, oh, you could do something with wine, you you, you know, more than just drink it and enjoy. Sideways is a great movie, but I wouldn't say that it's, you know, it's going to teach you anything about wine. Would you say which of the Psalm ones did you like the best? Uh, I like all of them. Um, for learning purposes, the the second one, but for motivation, the first one, because you know, they follow the Psalms through the, the master exam, which is kind of a cool thing to, to see. We're going to get your take here. Wine recommendations, something that everybody can find that's $20 and under for a bottle, $50 and under, $100 and under, and then anything over $100. So the first one is $20 and under. Any Riesling, you know, any Riesling from Germany, I feel like it's one, you know, generally inexpensive wine that you can find at the grocery store, even that is going to taste good. Maybe Albarino in there as well. It's a fun summer white that's just usually inexpensive and very good. Um, what was the next one? 50 and under, yeah. Um, Cru Beaujolais, Gamay. So I... I really enjoy uh, Cru Beaujolais wines. I think some of them can taste just as great as some really good Pinot Noir. And they're fairly easy to find now. And then the third one is 100 and under. Um, $100 and under. Something from the Loire Valley, like a Chenin Blanc from the Loire Valley. You know, Sauvignon is really fun. Chenin Blanc is a really fun grape because they're I like Riesling. There are so many different styles. And then $100 and over. I know I do not spend. I don't spend usually over $100 on a bottle of wine. If I were either champagne, I've been really interested in the Tete de Cuvées or the top, the top wines of, you know, the different champagne producers, just because or the different champagne houses, mainly because I just want to see what they're all about. So I've been slowly buying them to try them or something from the Rhone Valley, probably the Northern Rhone, like a, a really good Syrah from Hermitage or yeah, but that's probably where I'd go for over a hundred. And then last question. So I'm an Anthony Bourdain fan. Not everybody is. Uh, just kind of depends on if you ever got in or not. But if you were, is there a favorite moment scene from one of his shows or anything that stands out to you? Or if you weren't, was there another kind of culinary personality, whether it was Emerald or um, Jacques Pepin or something like that, or maybe even somebody in the wine industry, If there, but I don't think there was a whole lot of wine TV shows that you did kind of gravitate towards? Yeah, um, I, I enjoy Anthony Bourdain. I, you know, watched The Parts Unknown quite a few years ago. I don't really remember specifics. I, I think it, there was like a Greek episode or an Italian where he went to Italy, Tuscany. I can't remember specifics, but I, I really, you know, enjoyed it. And I, I think he did a really good job of highlighting 
food and wine and how they mesh and how foods from different cultures, you know, go really well with the beverages from different cultures. And when you drink them, you know, you have a, a sense of, of place. So yeah, I, it's been a while since I've seen them. It actually kind of makes me want to go back and watch them. But yeah, that's, that's what I got. Where can people find you? Social media, website, plug, everything. Yeah. Um, so my website is thegrapegun.com where I offer wine guides, you know, visuals for anyone getting into wine or wine study. And then also virtual tastings with a lot in the works. So, and then also my Instagram handle is thegrapegrind and I do a lot on there as well. And then if people, there's a newsletter they can sign up for, right? Yeah. Sign up for my newsletter. I, I, I give bottle recommendations, but I share a lot of resources that are helpful. I mean, whether you're studying wine or not, things that, you know, whether it's websites or books or podcasts or uh, apps that help you study, usually come up with a fairly decent list each month. And then if people want to do the blind tastings, how would they go about reaching out to you about that? Uh, There is a section on my website that says virtual tastings right at the top. Go there, fill out a form, I'll be in contact within 24 hours to do blind tastings, um, but also just, you know, tastings in general. If you want to do tastings, you know, whether it be a date night or, a, you know, a corporate event, just, you know, learn about the classic grape varieties or dive into a specific region. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you taking some time out. I know you're super busy with the grape grind and three kids and being under the weather still. So it was great that we could get this rescheduled the website looks awesome you know the instagram and everything just yeah there's if you're looking to get into wine it's a great place to start there's so much information that you put together and i think if anybody who's really looking to kind of get in and see you know if it's something that they really like that's definitely the place that i would say you should start for sure so but yeah i definitely appreciate you coming on and we'll certainly be staying in touch uh, and i'm really excited to see all the stuff that you have planned and as it comes out i'm I'm sure you'll announce it on social media. So super excited for, you know, what you got coming and everything that you've done so far. It's been, it's really cool to, to see you have success outside of the restaurant industry where so many people, I think, either get stuck or, or don't know where to go. So pretty awesome. Thank you so much for having me and letting me share. Anytime. Open invitation. Anybody comes on the podcast, anytime they want to come back to plug something or whatever, it doesn't always have to be an hour or anything like that, but definitely an open invitation. So awesome. Thanks. It's been fun. Thanks again to some Kendi Warden for coming on the podcast, taking some time out of her schedule to talk about wine and everything. It was really awesome to just get that perspective, different perspective, a, a woman in the wine industry, but also somebody who's pursuing more of the education route versus kind of like the, the wine sales route or something like that, if you will. So uh, like I said, make sure to follow her on Instagram at The Great Grind. Also visit the website. There's a newsletter that you can sign up to. Uh, if you're interested in kind of getting into wine or not sure where to start, make sure to reach out to her directly. She'll get back with with you. She'll, she can also do blind tastings, you know, if you're interested in doing that for like a party or get together or whatever. Um, she hosts them about a couple times a month uh, through some of her partnerships that she's established. And, and she's got more stuff on the way too as well. So it's definitely cool to see her build this kind of from scratch and then also kind of where it's headed to as well. So make sure you, you want to make sure that you're, you know, kind of on the train following along because it's, it's really awesome to just see somebody take a different path than kind of the usual stuff in the wine industry. So make sure to follow her on Instagram, like I said, but also make sure to follow us on Instagram too as well at Spoon Mob. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. Check out past episodes of the podcast. Uh, we've been doing quite a few chefs and guests in a row. I mean, we've done a handful of Psalms. Uh, this was our fourth one with the sommeliers. 
A um, couple chefs in there too as well. Restaurant owner, Brandon Grissetti, was uh, last week's episode of a restaurant up in Vancouver. So make sure to go through the backlog, check all those out. They start at number 80 uh, with Chef Jay Clevin of Cleaver. And then it's kind of every three or four episodes. I think we had a little bit of a break in there. So we're up to, I don't know, I mean, like somewhere between probably like 15, 18 total chefs and guest episodes and definitely have more on the way. I think we have maybe about another five to seven kind of in the works and stuff like that too as well. So we'll just keep kind of rolling them out as we're able to get people scheduled. And and uh, it's been a lot of fun so far, but make sure to check out all those podcasts. Parts Now Known comes out on Wednesdays. Podcasts that me and Ben do, rewatching Anthony Bourdain episodes. Kind of talk about the episode and then also kind of talk about current events kind of in there. So it's kind of one of those uh, recap, but also kind of shoot the shit type episodes. So if that's something that you're interested in or haven't checked out, would recommend. Uh, it's a fun time for us to do it. You know, we enjoy it. So kind of started it just because of COVID and we're out of content to watch on TV. So make sure to check that stuff out, but uh, definitely check out the chefs and guests. I would recommend starting there if you're kind of new to Spoon Mob and what we're doing. Also check out the website, spoonmob.com. New stuff usually goes up. Course breakdowns, course photos, podcasts, um, all that stuff. Wine reviews, all that stuff is up there. So check out the website too as well. Appreciate everybody listening. More stuff on the way, but uh, that's it for this week. We will talk to you guys later.